This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Welcome to episode number 44 of Baseball and Barbecue. Jeff! Like they say, Norm. Jeff! Len! <laughs> <laughs> and then Woody would say, Mr. Peterman or Peterson or whatever. Right? And so I'm going to say, Mr. Cohen. Yes, sir, Mr. Aberman. <laughs> oh, man. I'm I'm always excited you to are. the beginning. Yes, you are. So... One of the greatest things about this podcast, besides doing this podcast with you, is that we have gotten to meet so many great people. When I say meet, most of them are on the phone. Tonight is no exception. We have two guests tonight. One, Ryan Cooper. Two, Lindell Scranton. Both of them, just terrific people, great interviews, and I just think everybody's really going to enjoy listening to them. Ryan Cooper writes the smoke sheet. He's the barbecue tourist. He, of course, writes those publications along with his co co writer, Sean Ludwig, who we spoke to in person, actually. That one was in person. But, of course, Sean's local, and Ryan is out in um, Kansas City. No. I forget, where, I forget where he Midwest. lives, but right. Spoke to him. A great publication, the Smoke Sheet, right? And this both barbecue tourist and the Smoke Sheet. I mean, I got my Smoke Sheet this week. There was one link to the fifty, the fifty best ribs in, uh, or the fifty places to get the best ribs in each state, one in each state, I guess. And then there was, and then they had another link for great barbecue places in different states i mean if if you're not receiving the smoke sheet every week and if you're not receiving new york city barbecue and you don't look at barbecue tourist and you're a fan of barbecue you are really missing out and what if you're a fan of baseball if you're a fan of baseball then you also want to hear our interview with lindell Scranton. Uh, our interview well, what, what's this hour stuff? It wasn't our interview. No, no. Okay. Well, it wasn't intentional. No, it wasn't. All right. True. 
Jeff had a family emergency, so I trudged on without him. I did the best I could. Uh, I told Lindell that you were in the witness protection right. program. Okay. I think he bought it. Uh, maybe, yes. Lindell Scranton has a, a podcast called... You, no, Tailgate Guys. Tailgate Guys Barbecue. But before that, he was an astound, esteemed right. sports writer who covered baseball and mainly the Cardinals. The Cardinals, as we know now, are going to the Ameri- uh, National League Championship Series. Right, and when so, I got in touch with Lindell, he, I wanted to have him on to talk about his podcast. Right. But then he said, well, we could talk about baseball. Can I come on during the playoffs? Which we did, and he was just um, talking about the 1982 World Series champion uh, Cardinals was just a lot of fun, and we spoke about so many different things in baseball. So let me quote that with Lindell on October 7th. Uh, that was before the Cardinals beating the Braves, so he obviously didn't know the outcome. So didn't we, know the we, outcome. We know it now. Yes, and, and the Cardinals are going to the uh, you know, playing, going to play the Nationals. We shocked the hell out of everybody right. for the uh, you know National League Championship Series. And right now, it looks like it's going to be the Yankees and the Astros, because we're recording this, and the Astros are winning in Game 5. Now, if you listen to Gary Mack's podcast, Mets Musings, we all picked our predictions for for the World Series. Not at the beginning of the season, but at the playoffs. And I picked Cardinals and Astros. And I went with Cardinals and Rays, which is still possible. The game's not over yet, but it's it's possible. Well, well... By the time everybody hears this, the game will be over, obviously. But. Right, and we and we will know. But uh, and the Rays are doing the Rays are actually doing quite well. I mean, they they went further. Yeah, they, they're giving the Astros a run for their money. And whatever happens, uh, Yankees are going to be in great shape. They'll be in great shape, I guess, because they rested their. Yeah, pitchers, and, right? and and Houston had to go play a couple more games. So. Right, that's true. That's true. So, but anyway, let's get on with the interviews. Yeah. And here we first one go with uh, Ryan Cooper. Ryan Cooper, enjoy. If there's a major barbecue event, there's a good chance you will find our next guest, as the author of Barbecue Tourist, as well as co-founder of the Smoke Sheet, along with his fellow collaborator previous podcast guest Sean Ludwig, he is spreading the joy of barbecue. Ryan Cooper, welcome to Baseball and BBQ. Hello, thanks for having me. Ryan, you are one of those people that I think you're getting extremely well known in the world of barbecue, and it's like every event that that happens, there you guys are, you and Sean and, and... how do you do it? How do you how do you get the time to go to all these events? Well, I just make it a major priority. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've really just tried to carve out time as much as I can to to be able to travel to these events. And I'm lucky that I have a family that's very supportive of me and uh, likes to travel with me sometimes, and and doesn't mind if I go off on my own other times. So. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. All right, so let's, tell us about, tell us your humble beginnings. How did you get started? You know, how did the world of barbecue open up to you, or you found it, or, you know, how did this love begin? So I grew up in Kansas City, and 
So I guess I was always surrounded by barbecue, and it wasn't necessarily some something that I thought about a lot. It was just there. It was. I just vividly remember my dad being outside most weekends, you know, grilling ribs in the backyard on his Weber. You know, and I thought at the time his ribs were the best in the world that I had ever had. And looking back now, I'm. I think he breaks every single like rule and barbecue and, and all that and I, I would love to go back in time and try it now but at the time I just thought they were fantastic but barbecue was never really anything kind of it was just a normal part of life I guess so I really got excited about barbecue I would say after I after I became a homeowner and bought a grill to start testing out recipes of my own in the backyard and I kind of had the idea to, like, well, you know, it'd be great to travel to these different places and try all the, the various styles of barbecue, but just didn't really think about doing that until I made my first trip to Texas and I realized uh, what, how different the barbecue was down there and how different the barbecue culture was. And then I, after that, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to travel to every different region, every place I can and, and try this unique cuisine. And I've been doing that ever since. Ryan, let me uh, ask you about how you got started with your website, the barbecue, the BBQ Tourist and the Smoke Sheet. What drove that? How did you get started? How often do you update it? You know, could you tell us what got you started uh, running that, that those sites? Well, so I, uh, my, my job and my background is I'm actually a cultural geographer for the National Park Service. And what that means is I make maps about, uh, you know, places across the United States. And I try to understand different, different cultures, subcultures across the U.S. So just as a fun, like, side project, I decided to make a map that showed all of the different barbecue spots in Kansas City where I'm from and to also talk a little bit about the history of Kansas City barbecue and and what's unique about it. And so that was the first thing I did almost probably two years ago. I made this KC barbecue map. That was my first project. And then I decided well, okay, that was so much fun, and people really liked looking at it. So maybe I'll make one for Texas, and that's kind of what got me started on, you know, tra- when I traveled to Texas and decided to kind of really, you know, study barbecue in depth. And it was that trip to Texas that I actually met Sean Ludwig standing in line at those Barbecue, and it was just kind of a revelation because... I saw somebody standing right in front of me in line that was every bit as passionate about learning about barbecue and going to different places as I was. So that was really great. And probably about, we stayed in contact after we had met in Texas and talked about barbecue and things like that. And probably six months later, Sean had the idea to start the Smoke Seat newsletter and he asked me to, to join him in doing that. So that's how the smoke sheet got started. The smoke sheet, the barbecue tourist, they're they're excellent newsletters. 
we gave Sean a hard time, and we are an equal opportunity hard time giver. You rate uh, seven top barbecue podcasts, and what are we number eight? I mean, because we just we <laughs> apparently missed we missed the top seven there. Uh, barely, barely missed it. No, I I think uh, <laughs> I think Sean answered it best. We're kind of looking for barbecue podcasts and uh, your baseball and barbecue. If, I see. If it's barbecue and baseball, maybe that'll that'll just put you over the edge, and we'll uh, yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> we love your podcast. <laughs> Uh, if we could, we we would put every podcast that we listen to on there. And the the great thing is, more and more podcasts are coming out all the time that are great. And yes. it means that I have to listen so much more to to a lot more as I'm driving to work or I'm cooking in the backyard. I have more to listen to, which is great. Ryan, I'm looking at your website, and it's really great. It's interactive. Really like it. Very clean. Easy to navigate. Uh, you have a blog, you have a newsletter, you have pit stops. I, I, I was looking at the maps, and they're great because you, know, you just click on a map and you say you want to go St. Louis, and you click on one of the symbols there, and it tells you all about the restaurant that, that, that you're featuring. It, and it has the hours, and if it's a website, and how to get there, and phone number. It's just, that's really fantastic. So your blog, how often do you update it? Is it monthly how do you what's your system of how to update those blogs well i uh, i update it as frequently as i can and so that means whenever it's really really busy in the summer because there are more barbecue events and more travel i update it less frequently than i would like to uh the maps are the same way i actually i i partner with other uh other enthusiasts, I, I do the maps for the Georgia Barbecue Trails website, which is also featured on on Barbecue Tourist, and I update those probably I'd say quarterly. I think you know the people involved in that they'll send me a new list of additional places to add to the map. So I, I update it as much as I can, but most of my focus and most of my time actually goes the smoke sheet because that uh, that's every week that deadline is that's a hard deadline so uh, the website I wish I had more time today to, to update and I do plan on doing a major update soon on most of the uh, most of the different regions there are restaurants that are kind of highlighted and, and many of them say, it says coming soon or something like that and that means I'm going to be adding photos and and text for those specific spots in the near future, hopefully. Well, when you decide you want to do a uh, New York, Long Island barbecue map, we'd be happy to show you around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don yeah. and I actually did. That, that was probably one of my original maps. It's not on my website. I think it might be on one of Sean's websites, though. We did a, a New York and New Jersey barbecue map it also needs to be updated because I think there's there are several new places that have opened up and some that have unfortunately closed. Mm. I would love to update that map, and it, it does exist right now. I think you could maybe even find it if you did a Google search, but it definitely needs to be updated. And I'd be I'd be really excited to, to go to New York and try the barbecue there. So, 
Yeah, barbecue in this area uh, is definitely, um, I wouldn't say a resurgence. I would say it's just surging. It's, it's amazing how barbecue all over the country uh, is becoming huge or bigger. But in this area, it really is just growing. And I asked Sean this, and, and I want to ask you, why do you think barbecue is becoming as big as it is? That's a great question. I, I don't know. Um, I think maybe it has something to do with the craft barbecue movement and people who want to learn kind of older traditions that are... Um, that takes some skill and, you know, takes craft, basically. They, they take some effort to really make good barbecue. I think that's part of it. I think some of it is also the competition world is kind of interesting to people. Uh, they see on TV these pit masters that can mm. kind of work magic and, and do things like that. And I think that's another reason why uh, barbecue is kind of surging in popularity. Yeah, now you have, you have maybe it's the Food Network, you know, all these shows. Um, and of course, now you have Barbecue Brawl, but definitely barbecue uh, chefs, you know, like an Aaron Franklin, a Myron Mixon, a Chris Lilly, a Mo Kaysen. A David Marks. It, they're all becoming celebrities, right? They're, they're all just... They're becoming extremely well known. They're becoming celebrities. Their their cookbooks sell extremely well. I mean, then then of course you have got Stephen Reichlin and uh, you know Jamie Provence and I mean on and on and on. It's just it's it's just really growing in all aspects. And Jeff mentioned. And I, I've, been, oh, I've been fortunate enough to meet many of the individuals that you just mentioned. Not all of them, but every single person that I've met, they've been really wonderful people and interesting people. I, you know, I, it's not surprising at all to me that, that those people are huge successes and, and becoming celebrities, really, and particularly Aaron Franklin. I, when I met him, I just couldn't believe what a, what a fun and affable and likable person he, he really was. I was like, wow, you really are the guy that on TV or the, the guy that's on YouTube, uh, it, it was great, so. Yeah, and also, we had on, um, was it last, the last episode, we had on David Marks, who you, uh, I'm gonna, I, I'm assuming you know who David Marks is, that's like a stupid question, I think. Well, tell me who David Marks is. Operation Barbecue Relief. Okay. The, the, the amount of time that it, if you know, if Operation Barbecue Relief is just an incredible organization, and the amount of time that he gives to it, and all the volunteers give to it, is just amazing. Yeah, I have never met David Marks. I did meet Van Hayes at uh, in Kansas City at MBBQA, and they are just that. There's another organization that they're just really taking off and doing huge things. I. You know, I just heard that uh, a few weeks ago they did their first international deployment. Right. Yep. The Bahamas. Mm-hmm. With the hurricane there, and it's just amazing to me because a lot of the people that started that organization are from the same area of Missouri that that I'm from, and you know, it started out just 
being a, a bunch of pit masters and, and interested in barbecue who wanted to help out back in the aftermath of the uh, tornado in Joplin, Missouri, and now suddenly it's this huge organization that uh, they do just wonderful things all over the country. In fact, they I think some of them deployed to in Nebraska, where I live now, earlier this year when there was flooding, um, they're, they're always going to places where there's hurricanes and natural disasters, and now they're even going international. So it's really, it's really wonderful. Now let's let's talk about uh, where you're from because you just returned home. I don't know how close to your where you grew up it is, but you just returned to your home state for a little. What is it? A little barbecue competition uh, called the American Royal. <laughs> I, <laughs> tell you know, us, uh, tell us about that. Sean and I got to both go back home to Kansas City for the American Royal. Uh, it, so I went last year as well, and that was actually my first time to go after having gotten into barbecue. I went when I was a kid once, and and thought it was, you know, this huge deal back then. But when I went last year, I was really blown away with the size and scope of everything there. And and this year, went back, and it was just, uh, it was amazing. We had a great time there. They had probably close to 500 teams participating in the open competition. And it's truly like a, a city, I mean, in within at the area at the, uh, the Kansas Speedway where they have it. It's, it's impressive to be there. Almost, It can almost be overwhelming, you know, and it was also the kind of thing where everywhere you look, there's either a famous pit master or a team that you want to talk to, and uh, everybody's doing great, great things, you know at the Royal. It was a great experience. Yeah, it's amazing that of all those teams, there's there's one team that just has the best cook out of them. And uh, Fred, Fred Robles won this year? Yeah, from uh, Rio Valley, Texas. He won the, the Open, and it sounded like, uh, if I remember correctly, it was Mudgill from California that won the Invitational. Now, have you been to any of the other major competitions? And and for for all our listeners that aren't as familiar with barbecue competitions, it's almost, and, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like tennis has its majors, right? You have Wimbledon and, you know, the Australian Open and the U.S. Open, right? Yeah, the French Open. And then there were the little tournaments throughout the year. But you've got your majors, so... In barbecue, what do you have? You have the American Royal. You have the Jack. What, what are the What are the others? Um, Memphis in May. Right, Memphis in May. Memphis in May, and then the Houston Livestock and Rodeo. Okay, which Which of those have you been to? I've only been to the American Royal, and I'm going to be going to the Jack for the first time in two or three weeks. Okay. Now, when you go, do 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 people start to recognize you and, and they're like, they know that if they talk to you, they're going to get mentioned in your smoke sheet and your all your publications and you're going to basically make them famous. Do, do they know that? Do they realize that? Oh, I, 
know, at competitions, that is not necessarily the case because they're very, very focused on what they're doing. Right. There are certainly people that recognize me, and often they they may just know it's my face, and they know I'm somebody, but they can't quite place it. But right. Often, you know, people walk up and shake my hand and, and things like that, but I, they don't necessarily think I'm going to make them famous. <laughs> at, however, at um, at barbecue festivals, like public events, there there's a little bit more uh, where people recognize me and and they'll say, hey, you're a barbecue tourist, and they'll want to take a photo or something like that. And certainly at those events, you know, pit masters, because they're, you know, they're interacting with the public a lot more. Right. They are definitely willing to chat and take photos and things like that. But at, at least at the American Royal competition, and I've been to a couple of other smaller competitions, those pit masters are, are pretty pretty focused on what they're doing. In fact, there's you can kind of read their body language when, when you're coming around at a time that's not opportune for them. You, you need to kind of take the hint and kind of go away if, if they're in the middle of you know crunch time or something like that. And we definitely experienced that at the Royal where we knew, okay, they're getting ready to turn in brisket and they're trying to put their box together. They're not going to want to answer a lot of questions from me or take photos or or whatever, but you just kind of have to understand that that's what's going on at a competition. So the Jack Daniels uh, 2019 World Championships in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Yes. And you, there's a link on your smoke sheet for any more information and also other upcoming barbecue events. I'm, I'm looking at the one I, the one caught my eye on October 12th, the Eggtoberfest in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I guess that's just really for big green eggs. Could you tell us about that one? Yeah, and I, I don't know a lot about it other than we had a, a reader that, that sent that to us, and that, it's actually somebody that has their own uh, YouTube channel and cookbook, Grill uh, Girl Robin, is actually in uh, Florida. Oh, is that Robin Lindor? Yeah, okay. Bob and Lindars, uh, he sent that to us and said, hey, this is a great event. Just think about including it in the smoke sheet. So we looked into it and, and thought it looked really unique. It, it looked like a perfect uh, perfect opportunity for people who like big green eggs or who are interested in that kind of ceramic cooker to get together. And it sounds like there are cooking demonstrations there. Uh, there may be little contests that, at that, and it, there also might be the opportunity if you're sort of on the fence about buying a big green egg and you want to learn more and maybe you want to learn, you know, which one is right for, for you and for your needs. Uh, so it's kind of like an interesting event for uh, big green egg lovers or enthusiasts. We're recording this on October 2nd, and I see on October 5th there's a Brew and Q in Perth, Western Australia. I'm thinking you're not begin, you're not going to be going to that one. Not be going, not going to be going to that one. That was another one that was sent to us by by a reader, and uh, that was uh, Bill, who used to be the pit master at uh, the Switch in Dripping Springs, Texas. 
he's no longer with them, but he um, is the featured uh, pit master at that event in Perth, and he's there right now. I just saw he landed yesterday or the day before and is enjoying Australia, and he's going to be teaching some some classes to the folks in Western Australia. What, what caught my eye is, and I noticed this on a couple of other things when I was looking at the American Royal and, and this one as well, is there's actually a kids' uh, barbecue competition. How involved are these kids? Are they really cooking really intricate stuff or is it more like hamburgers and hot dogs type of thing? It's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's hamburgers and hot dogs. It might be hamburgers and steak or something like that. I got to kind of look in on that at the American Royal a little bit. Got to hang out with a team there called Burnt Finger Barbecue out of Kansas City, and their son Hank actually enters a kids' queue, and they take it very seriously. I mean, the kids are doing quite a lot of the work. They have these tiny, tiny little grills. There were dozens and dozens of kids doing that, and the the parents are, you know, at least one parent is sort of standing over them and and kind of watching the process, but it's really the kids that are doing everything, and uh, it looked like a lot of fun. I mean, at the very least, they're getting kids kind of involved in cooking and getting them interested in food and and learning about, you know, what it takes to really make a, a, a dish, and it looked like a lot of fun, actually. It was pretty cool. Ryan, do you have any restrictions on how far you will travel or if if the event is worth it you're going to go as far as you need to oh yeah i would go as far as i need to uh perth australia might be a little challenging to uh, get off work for that but i would if i had the opportunity i would i would go to perth australia for barbecue if i could now there's there's one event actually that I didn't see on there but now I understand it's people send it in Jeff and I are attending on October 12th Barbecue Guru is having their Monolith Monster Fest in uh, Warwick Pennsylvania Warminster War, War, sorry War, Warminster thank you Warminster Pennsylvania <laughs> and uh, Mo Kaysen is going to be there Bob Trudnack is going to be there, well, of course, because his company, but we're looking forward to meeting Mo Kaysen, of course, and Bob. And uh, I joked with Jeff, I said, we'll, we will sign autographs and we will take pictures, probably of ourselves, which Jeff said, yeah, that's called a selfie, <laughs> but we're going to that. So we are looking forward to that. That's probably as far as we can travel, at least on a weekend, so, but that's coming up. So we'll we'll also uh, try and stay out of people's way because they're having I th- I think they're having a competition. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is uh, is using the monolith, and then they're selling these grills at like four hundred dollars off. Oh great! Wow. Yeah, and they're they're basically they're new. They're being seasoned, right? You have to season them anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's a great deal, uh, Lisa. Joe Getter. Do you know Lisa Joe? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, somebody, wow, I hit upon somebody that he doesn't know. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's very rare that there's there's people that you don't know in the world of barbecue. Oh, I'm still, I'm, I'm meeting people all the time and, 
and it is interesting. It is like a, a family, and it's wonderful. We were we were fortunate uh, this past weekend. We got to go to a really great festival, and it's kind of. I mean, it's 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 a large festival, but compared to the American Royal, it's it's really manageable. Uh, we went to Q in the Loop in St. Louis, and there are about ten pitmasters there, and there's some music, and there are vendors there selling things. But it was it was a great opportunity to really kind of talk to pitmasters and meet some people that you know that they know. It was a it was a really wonderful time. The other thing that was great about that was there were a lot of cooking. Tipmaster did a cooking demonstration, and so not it wasn't really a competition. It was more serving food to the public and then teaching the public how to make a particular dish. And they sort of focused on holiday dishes that people could prepare for Thanksgiving or whatever. So that was really really interesting and really unique. Brian, what do you cook on? Well, I have a few different grills. I have a pit barrel cooker. I have a very cheap offset smoker that I got when I first bought my house. My, you know, my wife bought it for me. And it it has actually served its purpose. I, I mean, it's done, a, it's done great for the last... 10 years or so, but I think I'm ready to retire that and get a real, you know, a really nice offset cooker at some point. And then I also have, for grilling, I have a, a Weber gas grill, a very nice Weber Spirit gas grill that, that has also lasted quite a long time. So if money, if money's not an option, what's the grill, what's the uh, smoker, the cooker you're getting? Wow, if money was really no option... That's uh, right. I mean... Blank check. If I had a blank check, I would buy a really great custom offset cooker from one of the makers down in Texas. I, I had the great opportunity to meet with a couple of guys that, that make these cookers, and their company is called Mill Scale. They're in Lockhart, Texas. And they make these monster offset cookers, you know, that a lot of the biggest names in barbecue use. Those, that, but they also make a backyard mop. I think it's 94 gallons or something like that. Still quite pricey, but uh, they, they look like, you know, they'll last a lifetime and beyond. So if money... If I could, if I could get any cooker, it'd be that. One. There was also another uh, pit builder I made, or I met down in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, AJ's Custom Cookers. He he makes some really interesting things as well. So I think I would get some sort of custom offset cooker from Texas if I could. Well, one last thing before we let you go. What is your go-to meal? What do you prepare on these uh, on these barbecues? What, what, what's your uh, specialty? For, for me to cook, you mean? Yes. Or for me to order at a restaurant? No, for you to cook. I think the thing that I do best is, is ribs. I think I do really good Kansas City-style ribs. I, I tend to try to stick with sort of the, the traditional uh, classics in barbecue. I... I make a lot of ribs. I make a lot of brisket and pork, 
pork butt, and uh, I make really good beef ribs as well. I try and I try to do as much cooking as I can because anytime I'm not out traveling, I'm trying. You know, I get the urge to to make barbecue in my backyard, and anytime the weather is nice, I'm I'm out there, you know, cooking. And the thing is, I travel so much, I get a lot of different uh, rubs and sauces like that. So I, I want to try those out. And so I have a whole basement full of rubs. I'm looking at them right now. It's just like they're all just sitting there waiting to be used. So I try to try those out as much as I can when I'm at home. And you have to because otherwise they go bad. They don't last forever. I end up trying to give give them away to people if I know, because they only last so long, so I try to, you know, use them if I can, or give them to somebody that could use them, but there are so many great products out there on the market, and it's really interesting to try as many as you can. So, Ryan, we've talked about this, and for our listeners, you should know that now you've heard from Ryan Cooper, you've heard from Sean Ludwig, and we have asked them to make appearances on this show to talk about the world of barbecue, things that have happened, things coming up, things you should know. And so, Ryan, I hope we still have your commitment to appear on this, and we can make this one of your top seven favorite podcasts. <laughs> I mean, you got to like one that you're on. Or, or at least make it eight. Well, now, so, that, now that both Sean and I were on, we're, we definitely have to get you in the seven. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Vanity Vanity would say yes. I mean, you're on it. <laughs> so, Ryan, uh, let, let's please tell the listeners where we can get in con- contact with you, your website, and your uh, your newsletters. Yeah, so uh, we try to keep them as simple as we can. Uh, my website is bbqtourist.com, and the smoke seat you can sign up or view the archive at bbqnewsletter.com. You can also, you can reach me at ryan at bbqtourist.com by email or bbqnewsletter at email.com. And I dare any of our listeners that look at these websites, first of all, you will get lost in them. It's like going down a rabbit hole. It's incredible. If you love barbecue as much as we do, you'll spend countless uh, time on this. But I dare you to find a picture of Ryan where he's not smiling. And I don't mean just smiling. I mean, you have a smile that is, like, huge. It's it's incredible. Well, I'm out there traveling, going to these great barbecue places and meeting these wonderful people. So I can't, I can't help but right. be really happy and excited to be out there. Right. But I got to ask, are you now bearded or beardless? I am bearded right now. But <laughs> that's the other thing I got to tell you guys. At, the, at, at some of these events where people, especially the competitions, I went to one in Murfreesboro, Illinois, called the Praise the Lard Competition. <laughs> Very interesting because it's both a Kansas City Barbecue Society and the Memphis Barbecue Network sanctioned competition all in one. But everybody saw me with my beard and my black shirt and my uh, barbecue hat and assumed I was a pit man, you know, so I, everybody there wishing me good luck, <laughs> think, wow, you're really, you know, you're, 
you're walking around here like you've already won the competition and all this stuff. And I just was laughing because I, I thought, well, they have no idea that I'm not even cooking and I'm just a guy with a, a camera taking photos. I'm just a tourist or whatever. But everybody, when I have my beard, everybody assumes I'm a pit master. So. Oh, and I got I to ask you one more. You've got a hat in these pictures that says cash on it? Yeah, that's one of my favorite favorite hats. I got that at the uh, Johnny Cash Museum in Nashville. And that was actually on my, my first ever real barbecue trip. Before barbecue tourists, before the smoke sheet, my wife and I went on a trip for our, for our uh, anniversary to Nashville. And I ended up uh, going to Peg Leg Porker in, uh, in Nashville and going to the Johnny Cash Museum. And I picked that hat up. Baseball hats. Yeah, you have that in common with Jeff. Jeff has a ton of baseball hats. Uh Yeah, that's what I'm looking at them right now. I I see about 50 of them. And I think they're kind of like souvenirs, so I don't want to mess them up. So I just kind of keep them on the shelf and and wear the same two or three hats. Uh, I should probably, I should probably, you know, dig out these hats and, and wear them everywhere I go. But well, Ryan, we appreciate it. You've been a fantastic guest, and we're looking forward to a long and uh, just a long, great relationship, learning about barbecue from you and your travels, you and Sean. We really appreciate it. So thank you very much. Thank you both for having me on here. I really I really enjoyed talking to you, and I can't wait to chat with you all again and, and tell you what else is going on out there in the world of barbecue. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. All right, thank you. And we want to thank Ryan Cooper for joining us here on Baseball and BBQ. So, so what do you think? He was a great source of information. Just terrific guy. Just remember, guys, the Smoke Sheet Barbecue Newsletter, barbecuetourist.com. Look it up on uh, Google, on the Internet, whatever. Find it. You will really enjoy it. We don't have much time to take a break or anything. You guys take a break, whatever you want, but we've got to get right to the next interview. Well, before we do that, I want to tell people to give us a call. We have time for that? Of course, 516-855-8214. Send us an email at baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Check us out on our Facebook page. Tweet us. Our Twitter address is at baseballandbbq. And we have uh, our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And we have our Instagram uh, called Baseball and Barbecue, barbecue all spelled out. And now here's Len's interview with Lindell Scranton. Our guest is what we refer to on Baseball and Barbecue as a double threat. As the host of the podcast Tailgate Guys Barbecue Show, he can be heard weekly with his co-host and fellow pitmaster Steve Kohler as they discuss all things barbecue. 
But this 2017 Springfield Area Sports Hall of Fame inductee can also discuss baseball, as he covered that along with football, basketball, golf, auto racing, and bowling during the 36 years he spent as a reporter. Sounds like this renaissance man has had a long career filled with many of his favorite things. Hopefully, appearing as a guest on our show will be added to his list of pleasures. Welcome, Lindell Scranton, to Baseball and Barbecue. Lynn, thank you for the introduction. It's great to be on. You know, it's still, still very strange for me to, uh, to be interviewed. I, I spent 36 years interviewing other people so uh, this is still a little bit hard for me to get used to but thanks for the, for the intro you're welcome i had to I, as a as a sports uh writer for all those years i had to to make sure that i wrote something that might be uh acceptable to your uh, to your standards well, you, you, you did very well. It sound, uh, sound better than I am, so thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Well, actually, what I wanted to do in my life was to be a sports reporter. You know, who knows? Maybe eventually. But <laughs> I wanted to be a writer for for sports as well. But So, baseball and barbecue listeners, the way that I found Lindell was I was looking for barbecue podcasts. And I happened upon his... I will tell you, I think it's one of the best out there. Extremely informative, uh, entertaining. You have very good guests. They talk about competitions. They have, uh, like I said, great barbecue guests. I got in touch with Lindell, and I said, you know, I'd love to have you come on. And he said, well, why don't we do it during baseball playoff time? So, as you know, the playoffs are in full swing right now. And luckily, uh, the Cardinals just pulled one out. And are going on to Game Five. Care to comment, Lindell? Well, you know it's a great time of the year for us baseball uh, fans, especially when you have a team that you follow still still alive and in postseason play. Cardinals, uh, just like all year, to the Game Four of the uh, NL Division Series against Atlanta, typical of the Cardinals' season. They, they nothing comes easy for this team. They're very streaky offensively. Uh, the bullpen is off in a high wire act, but uh, they found a way to get it done. And off to game five with Jack Flaherty on the mound. So we'll, we'll, we'll gladly take our chances. And, you know, I can say we now since I'm no longer in the business of covering, <laughs> covering a team. So I can, I can be a fan after all these years. That's right. You, you don't have to be impartial anymore. That's right. You know, so Jeff, Jeff Cohen, who I usually do this, um, this, this show with, um, He's, you know, he had to go into the witness protection program today, so he will not be appearing on this episode, but we wish him the best. I wish I knew where to contact him, but unfortunately, uh, you know, once they go in that program, you just, you don't know. I don't know when I'll hear from him, but I'm glad that I'm here. I'm just kidding, folks, okay? He's, he's dealing with some family matters, but uh, the witness protection sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Well, it does. We, we, we wish him well, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to return as going to come back co-host here next week, and uh, things will be well. You know, uh, best, he, wish, best wishes to Jeff. He's my, uh, I, I guess he's my, my uh, uh, keeps me on track, let's say. We actually had on, and should be on this episode as well, uh, Ryan Cooper, who writes, uh, he's a co-writer of The Smoke Sheet, Barbecue tourists. 
and we spoke a lot of barbecue with him. So Jeff's like, make sure that you speak to Lindell about baseball. Make sure you don't do, do all barbecue, that you do baseball. So I'm going to try, you know, we're going to talk about baseball, but I have to tell you, occasionally I might have to slip in some barbecue talk. Well, he, as far as I'm concerned, either subject uh, is, is wonderful to talk about. Uh, they're, they're a 1 and 1A for me, so uh, be glad to be glad to talk about either one of those passions. All right, so let's talk about the St. Louis Cardinals. And if I, if I Googled you, or as I like to call it, internet stalking, if I did that correctly, you covered the 1982 St. Louis Cardinals. Indeed, I did. That was really when my first big uh, break in the newspaper business. A 21-year-old part-time reporter at the Springfield News Leader, and our two senior reporters left to take jobs. Uh, one, at, one went to USA Today, well, it was just a startup uh, back in 82, and uh, I kind of slid in under the radar and got the opportunity to cover the Cardinals late in the regular season that year, and followed them throughout the playoffs and in the World Series in all seven games, home and away, St. Louis and Milwaukee, and it was a wonderful experience, and really was a was an opportunity for me, and, and my bosses must have thought I did okay, so I was soon promoted, and uh, the career was off and running. <laughs> did you did you grow up a Cardinal fan? I did. Back then, growing up, I remember many nights of listening to the Cardinals and Mr. Jack Buck, the great late great Jack Buck, and and Harry Carey was in his final few years of calling Cardinals games. Spent many many summer nights out in the backyard on the on the little radio listening to the Cardinals. So now you go from fan to covering the game and having to be impartial. But when you walk in that locker room and you meet Keith Hernandez and Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Whitey Herzog, there has to be a part of you that's just thinking to yourself, this, this you know, I got to pinch myself. This, is, this isn't real. And, and having to keep yourself in check. How difficult is that? Well, it was. I'll tell you, this, this, they had a, uh, a legendary guy whose name was, uh, I don't remember his last name, but they called him Donkey. He, he was the clubhouse guard for like 50 years going back to the old Sportsman's Park, and I, I heard stories about him, and he was meticulous in the way that he checked everyone's credentials. You didn't get in the clubhouse without the proper credential. Once I got past him into the clubhouse, I kind of did a hard swallow and caught my breath and had to get my game face on and realize that I was there to do a job and not to be a not to be a fan. So it was a it was a reality check that I had to had to get had to get into my into my newspaper mode quickly. Now, for somebody who's younger than us, okay, they're not. They don't remember baseball as it used to be, and they start doing research, and they look up the Cardinals, and they see, oh, the Cardinals won the National League East. Wait a second. The National League East? When were the Cardinals in the National League East? And then they see that they beat the Milwaukee Brewers in the World Series, and then they're like, wait, wait a second. The Milwaukee Brewers were in the American League? So it's... I mean, it's amazing that in 82, there were four divisions, and and the, the all these teams were in different places. The, well, the Astros were in the National League, the Brewers were in the American League, 
and and the Cardinals were the nemesis of my favorite team, the Mets. Yeah, I still have a little bit of a hard time of occasionally realizing the Brewers are are initially uh, nationally team and the Astros are in the American League. It's still a little bit weird to me, but the Cardinals and the Mets' eight rivalry in the 80s was really one for the ages. Uh, the Mets would roll into St. Louis and so many memorable games. I think I was there the night that Daryl Strawberry hit the home run off the scoreboard clock uh, as the Mets uh, were headed toward the division title. Uh, I think it was in 86 uh, to put away the Cardinals in early September. Just so many memorable rivalries and uh, that was, that was a great series between those two teams. And, of course, the year in 80, uh, was it 85 when Terry Pendleton hit the memorable home run off of uh, Roger McDowell in the Shea Stadium to help the Cardinals win an extra inning game in September there. Just, just lots of memories. Yeah, actually, Jeff was an intern with the Mets in 80... Uh, he always tells the story in 84 or 85, he was an intern with them. He, he went to St. John's and he interned, and uh, he has some exciting stories about that year. And he's a huge fan, so he also, it must have been hard to keep his uh, fandom, you know, under wraps. <laughs> but at least he didn't have to report on the team. Yeah, that's true. And uh, that, was, that was an interesting group of Cardinals, uh, the 82, 82 team in particular had very little home run power. I don't think there was a guy on the team that had 20 home runs. Mm. For anyone in this modern era, that's just, just uh, unfathomable that you couldn't hit, hit home runs. But that was the whitey ball era where they had defense and speed, and it was a totally different game. And in a lot of ways, I, I miss that style of ball. It just sound like the old big off your lawn guy, but uh, that, was, that was fun to watch back then when teams hit and run and uh, executed and played defense and did mm. fundamental things. Right. Well, these days, the bat boy can hit 20 home runs. <laughs> just Yes, yeah, that's right. If you don't hit 20 home runs, what, what's the deal? You're, you're off the team. Right, exactly. All right, so that team, and, and Jeff and I will talk a lot about uh, players that, you know, uh, may, are in the Hall of Fame, should be in the Hall of Fame, had Hall of Fame years in in ordinary careers but there's one guy on that team Willie McGee and I remember Willie McGee and every time he came up it seemed with with runners in scoring position they were they were going to score Willie McGee two batting titles 1985 National League MVP borderline Hall of Famer uh, borderline. I, I, I can't. I would not be able to say he's a he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's one of those guys who's in the very good category and just misses. But had had a great career. Uh, he, he, he's one of those guys you have to think about, but just doesn't quite make the cut, in my opinion. Right. Well, on so on our last show. We talked about, we like to focus on a, a particular Hall of Famer. We used to call them lesser-known Hall of Famers, and we talk about guys played in the late 80s, and, you know, the people that, that probably people don't remember or know about or whatever, and we talk about them. And now we're just talking about Hall of Famers. So Joe Torre came up. Now, Joe Torre was also borderline Hall of Famer. I think he also had an MVP. Um, so as a player... And then, of course, his managerial experience with the Yankees is what put him over the top. Now, Jeff's argument was 
that he kind of was a victim of circumstance. He, you know, he, he ended up in a great situation, that he wasn't that great a manager with the Cardinals or with Mets, right? He was Cardinals, uh, I think he was managed the Cardinals, he managed the Mets, but when he came to the Yankees, you know, Jeff's, and a lot of people feel anybody could have managed those teams. But, boy, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Why? So, oh, so that's... He's a great case study. You make the point there. But I, re- I remember now why I brought it up, because I was going to say, Willie McGee, who, you know, had probably a similar career as a player to Joe Torre, you know, had a uh, had the MVP. I don't know if Joe Torre had the batting titles, but had definitely had the MVP. Maybe he, if he would go manage a team and win a World Series or two with them, then he'd get in the Hall of Fame, too. That was my point. My long-winded way to get to it. <laughs> Oh, I think that's a good point. Exactly. I, I think I think Joe's Hall of Joe's uh, World Series titles as a manager did absolutely put him over the top. Now let's talk about some of the players other than uh, Willie McGee. Keith Hernandez. What can you tell us about covering Keith Hernandez? Well, uh, one of my one of my first memories of walking into the Cardinals clubhouse. This was before a game, and you know, you, you, you know, you're a wide-eyed 21-year-old kid. You think these guys are in are world-class athletes, and, and so on and so forth. But I walk in, and there's Keith Hernandez sitting in front of his locker, smoking a cigarette. And then a couple of lockers over is, is Tommy Herr smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Lonnie Smith doing the same thing over in the corner. And these are pro athletes. Why are they smoking cigarettes? This is just stunning to me. And, uh, but then, then you go back to that famous picture of uh, Len Dawson and the, of, the, of the Chiefs at the halftime of the Super Bowl uh, four, smoking a cigarette and drinking a fresca in the locker room. So I don't know. It just stuck out to me that uh, Keith Hernandez is a guy who used look up to so much as, as, a, as a kid and then you see him in, on a, in a pro setting and he's in, in the locker room smoking this caught me as weird yeah I, yeah I agree with you Keith Hernandez Hall of Famer I think he falls in that uh, Willie McGee category I think he's a little bit closer than Willie uh, because of the championships for uh, with two teams and for his defense he's really he's probably as good a defensive first baseman as ever played the game I think he's close but maybe just outside that's, that's he's the guy who'll get a real good look from the uh, I don't know if they call it the veterans committee anymore but the, uh, the the guys who've been looked over the first time around I think he'll get a look in a few years now Ozzie Smith obviously in the Hall of Fame but what what can you tell us about covering Ozzie the wizard of the wizard of Oz just a very, very, uh, very classy individual. I remember he was one of the first um, star athletes that I had the opportunity to interview. In the, er- in the early days of, of going in the locker room, and late in that regular season, I kind of picked the uh, under-the-radar guys to kind of kind of get my feet wet, go up and talk to the uh, guys like Ken Albrechtfeld, the third baseman, or uh, Mike Ramsey, the utility infielder. But then I've worked up the courage to talk to Ozzie, and he was just, just a super, super guy and just very classy in the way he carried himself on and off the field. Now, Whitey Herzog was the manager of that team, right, nicknamed the White Rat. Any anecdotes about Whitey? Uh, Whitey was just, he was just an, an, an average, average, average old guy. You know, he just, he just, uh, he's a country guy, grew up in rural Illinois, but he 
had that persona of being just a country country boy, but he was a he was a genius underneath that uh, persona. You know, he under he was he was Mr. Analytics, I think, before there were analytics. He had he didn't have computers, but because they weren't available at that time, he had he had notebooks that he had in the dugout or in his desk in his office, and he always was referring to notebooks and color codes and. He was an analytics guy, but very, very smart. That uh, maybe a lot of people didn't didn't realize because he played that country persona so much. Right. Now, on the '82 Cardinals, I don't. He didn't play in the series, but I know he played with them during the year. Did you have any interaction with Mark Littell? Do you remember Mark at all? Well, I, I know Mark very well. Just following him with the Royals, where he had his most success, and then this right. brief, brief time with the Cardinals. I don't really have any memories of him in, in 82 I'm not sure that he was active in the postseason uh, on the roster I, I heard him on your uh, on your show last week oh thank you guy. and he had a good career uh, yeah. but I can't say I, I recall much about his uh, contributions to the Cardinals that year he, yeah his I, I absolutely love what he's invented the nutty buddy yeah and awesome. the advertising that they do for it and the the couple of things like they say when you take a for when you take a heater to the peter <laughs> and it and then i think they say it's like a ferrari for your crotch and i, I just i laugh but the truth is it's a fantastic invention yeah there are a lot of a uh, lot of catchers in particular i think that the uh, wish that had been invented much earlier so uh, yeah that, that's a brilliant idea he came up with but when he stands there and he takes he takes 90 mile an hour fastballs to while he's wearing it and so you know it's a product that he believes in oh absolutely and uh, props to him that's that's a that's a great great job great invention now let's let's fast forward to uh so i mean the cardinals are I guess, uh, compared to the, you know, maybe second to the Yankees as far as World Series wins, uh, I think. Yeah, I think so. 11, 11 uh, World Championships, uh, second to the Yankees, who are oh, 27. Dodgers uh, maybe have nine. Right. Uh, to be in third place. So it's a, they're a great organization. They've always been extremely well run. They keep their managers for a long time. They keep pitching coaches. I mean, they 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 stay together, which I think the consistency is one of those things that, like a team like the Mets, is slacking. Even in a time when managers would get hired and fired, you know, with the Yankees, with with Steinbrenner and Billy Martin and all that, they always stayed. They stayed the course, and I think that might have helped. What's your, if you had to pick a favorite Cardinal team that you saw win a World Series, which would it be? Well, as far as the uh, as far as favorite team, I was it was it was well before my time of covering them, but the 1967 team that uh, defeated the Red Sox, the Bob Gibson, Lou Brock teams. I mean, those guys were my heroes growing up. Mm. Uh, and Lou Brock, and it was a thrill later later on. After he retired, he, he came to Springfield for a uh, for an event, and I, and I got to uh, meet him and do a story about him. And he uh, he is high on my list as far as the most classy professional athletes that, I, that I've ever ever encountered. Just just a wonderful human being, and 
that team, uh, well, that was my introduction. My first year, 1967, is the first year that I really remember uh, taking a deep dive into baseball and never missing a game and keeping score while listening, listening to the game. And uh, just that's, that's really the team that I think made me a Cardinal fan to this day. There's, um, you mentioned Bob Gibson. There's a book that I'm currently reading uh, because we're going to have the author on. It's called The Year of the Pitcher. It's about um, Bob Gibson and Danny McLean. I think the year 1968, when they both had, uh, they had incredible records. I believe they faced each other in the World Series. Yeah, that would be right. That's your McLean won 38 for the right, Tigers. Right. Gibson had his 1.12 ERA. Right. And they lowered lowered the mound the following year. That was That's definitely right. the, uh, the era of pitching. Yes, and it's a very good book. Um, a year, year like that repeated, uh, certainly not in this modern age of, no. uh, of launch angles and uh, swinging for the fences. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I want to talk about all those... Uh, you know, all the statistical numbers that they come up with now. But, um, but yeah, so what What more can you say about Bob Gibson? Yeah, just a tough, tough human being, tough competitor. It, Mr. Intimidation, my uh, uh, first, I remember being uh, on an ele- riding an elevator with Bob Gibson in the, sometime in the 80s while I was up and uh, covering a regular season game. Bob was doing some announcing for the team. Uh, he's, he, I was, I was, I was too intimidated to even say hello to him in the elevator. You know, he's one of those guys that you're just in awe of. And uh, I, there's never been another uh, another Cardinal pitcher like him. That's for sure. Yeah. The uh, Jeff was commenting the other day because um, I guess Didi did some grandstanding with his grand slam that he hit uh, the other day. Uh, you know, in the playoffs. And then, of course, you got Ronald Acuna. Uh, junior, right, who, who, you know, holds the bat thinking that he's going to hit the home run and he ends up on first, right? And he basically said if Bob Gibson was pitching the next time up, these guys would have had very different results. Uh, that, that, that's for sure. We, we, can, we can be assured that would have been the case if Gibson was, was pitching uh, in, in this era. That, that's, that's for sure. Now, in the... Uh, in the American League, what's your thought on, uh, because you were in the press, um, what's your thought on Verlander and uh, how he tried to restrict the reporter from being in the in the locker room? Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was disappointing. You, you, you would, you know, and I don't know all the, all the details of what was written before when they were, when, when Verlander was in Detroit, but uh, that was disappointing. You would think that let him come in and try to do his job. If he doesn't want to talk to the guy, he doesn't have to. It's the player's right to talk or not talk to a certain press member. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's disappointing that that would happen. I hated to see that. Well, the Mets also had a situation this year uh, in their locker room where a reporter asked a question, and it was a legitimate question. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but at the time, I didn't think anything of it. They exploded on him, and they just, they, you know, they, they almost got into a, you know, they got into an altercation. Well, certainly, you know, there are times that reporters cross the line with what they write or how they act, and they're, they're in the wrong, but 
for the most part, athletes, I think, need to remember that reporters are there to do a job, and they're the, they're the uh, connect, connection to the public. They're the public's uh, uh, ears and eyes, and uh, they let they, reporting has made, made the players a lot of money through the helping make the game visible to the public and the people who buy tickets. So I think there needs to be respect shown that way now who's the favorite who's who's the best or your favorite uh player that you ever interviewed in baseball oh man gosh uh, that is a uh, you would think i would i would have that one handy and ready to go for you but the, i'll tell you frank white of the kansas city royals and i didn't, I didn't cover the royals often other than the five world series but he, he would come our area and do some occasional appearances and he he, is, he, he managed the double-A Royals for a time as well and we have the double-A Cardinals team in Springfield and Frank I always found just so accommodating and so uh, so impressive as well. He's much like Lou Brock. He'd be right high on my list of uh, you know, just people to cover just for, for being uh, being good classy people the way they conducted their business. Now did you always did you always want to be a yeah. did you always want to be a sports reporter? No, you know that just kind of. I, I always tell people I didn't. I didn't go into it with any, any plan. It just worked out that way. I was like a lot of kids who grew up and loved the love sports and and wanted to play them, but wasn't good enough to uh, to be to be uh, you know on the field playing. So uh, I had had a, an ability to write in English classes and so forth. So it just kind of worked out that way. And I would did stats for the uh, for my high school uh, teams and got to know the local guys who would come out and cover the games for the local paper and they introduced me to the uh, sports editor and just kind of got an opportunity and that just kind of worked out that way. Now you also, uh, besides baseball, I mean there's a lot of sports that you've covered so you have to have knowledge of all of these sports and you know more more than your average uh, fan or more than you know the average person so um, I mean auto racing golf I mean those are two sports that have nothing in common but you have to have a, a knowledge of those how did you you know educate yourself so well on all those things well, uh, auto racing. I grew up an auto racing fan. It was we have. It, this is a great area of the country for short track auto racing. We we had some uh, people like uh, Rusty Wallace and Mark Martin, NASCAR Hall of Famers, who, uh, when they were teenagers, raced here locally. So, and we would go watch them every week, and and I just developed a love for auto racing, and also uh, any anything that needed to be done in the, the realm of bowling or horse racing. Those those oddball sports where. Not everybody in uh, in our sports department knew anything about. I, I had an interest in those things, so I kind of those kind of fell to me. So been able to go to the Kentucky Derby a couple of times uh, and, and cover that, and uh, uh, did some NASCAR, did some little bit of NASCAR coverage, but mostly it's been local auto racing that I've covered. And, and now today, after leaving the newspaper business, I'm fortunate enough to uh, work for Lucas Oil at uh, Lucas Oil Speedway, which is uh, just about an hour north of. Where, where I'm located, and that's one of the t- nation's top uh, short track motorsports complexes. So uh, now, now I'm writing a lot about uh, auto racing from a different angle, from a PR angle. Wow! Now you covered. Now you, you talk about bowling, and uh, I I love to bowl. Um, and as a kid, I remember 
Saturdays, ABC Sports, Pro Bowling, right? You'd have, um, if you remember, Earl Anthony and um, uh, David David Roth and um, Petraglia and Weber and... uh, do you remember Saturday? Uh, well, it was like early Saturday afternoons. Wide World of Sports would have the bowling. I never missed it. Never missed a Saturday during the during the winter time. Uh, so you Eagle and Chris Hagel right. the play by play with mm-hmm. uh, Nelson Burton Jr. on the uh, giving the uh, the color. It was uh, must see TV for me back in those days. Yes, uh, I, I grew, grew up a bleak bowler and bowled for more than thirty years, and uh, was was even in the students scratch leagues for a long time. I was I was actually pretty good. That's the one sport I could say that I was I was good at. So uh, loved to bowl. Have you? What's your high game? One career sanctioned 300 wow. in 2004. So uh, wow. came close many times and had about given up on ever getting it. But uh, finally, finally, uh, finally got that one. So I, I can proudly say I have. I was able to shoot one career 300. That's that's amazing. That is as as somebody who struggles to. You know, to even get to 200 uh, on the, uh, the rare occasion, I 300 is just a, a dream. That's that is amazing. What what I can't believe is there was a story recently about a bowler, I think in this area, and he bowled three perfect games in a row uh, in his league. Well, it's phenomenal. You know, we talk about how, how sports evolve and baseball has changed, but bowling is a sport that has taken a major transformation over the last probably 10 years. These uh, the, the kids are growing up today, a lot of them are using two hands. So mm. that yes. Set the ball with a two-handed delivery and create just an amazing amount of power, and that's that's kind of the new phase of the game, and it's uh, the scores today are just, just phenomenal. Yeah, they don't, right. They don't even use their fingers in the ball. It, it's some of them, right? Or they just put one finger in, or yeah, it really is amazing. As a reporter, did you ever have a vote for whether it be the the baseball Hall of Fame? Did you ever have a vote there, or did you ever have any votes for, let's say, MVP or you know, Rookie of the Year or any of that? No, I never did. Uh, we, we fell just under the threshold of covering enough enough, uh, enough games on a per-season basis to join the Baseball Writers Association, which uh, which you needed to be a member of to, uh, to do that. So uh, I never had to do that. And I thought that was okay. I, I, I didn't really... I, I always was a little bit... A little bit... Uh, Queasy when uh, when writers were voting on things like that, I was wondering if really we that was our business to make those decisions or not. But uh, I know somebody has to. But sometimes uh, I just wonder if writers should be the ones making decisions on on, on, the, on the Hall of Fame, for instance. Mm. Yeah, well, a lot of times they let their personal um, preference or the personal feelings in. I mean, who knows uh, with Verlander. If this, I don't know if this reporter has a vote or not, but, uh, you know, if that will affect things. Or, or forget that one reporter could be the press in general. If they have a, you know, if they feel that he didn't treat the press fairly, maybe they'll take it, a, you know, take it out against him. 
Yeah, it's possible, but I, I think that story seemed to blow over fairly quickly. It didn't linger too long, so... Uh, That's true. So a, a, guy, a guy like Verlander, his, his uh, accomplishments are so so enormous, I don't know how, how, they could, how they could keep him out on the first ballot when the time comes. What do you think about uh, pitchers nowadays? And I, I, I don't think it's as... Uh, I don't think it happens as much, but we had a situation with the Mets this year... Um, with uh, Noah Syndergaard, and it got out that he didn't like pitching to Wilson Ramos, and he wanted to pitch to another catcher, and there was a situation they didn't want to give him his own personal catcher. Do you think that was blown out of proportion? You know, it probably was, and and you know more about that scene than I do, but that's we always hear about it right out here in the Midwest, but uh, a lot of things in New York, uh, the press looks for things to, to blow up, and uh, that may be very well one of those things that made news on, um, and, and it, it probably was blown up a little bit. As you go back to the uh, to the 70s and 80s when the, Tim McCarver was Steve Carlton's personal catcher, so that's not, not a new thing. Right. And, you know, Syndergaard may, may or may not have... Uh, Yeah, well, you know how it is in New York. We like to think that everything centers around us and that if it happened, everyone in the country must know about it. Well, that's right. That's, that's what I hear. Right. Let's look at the Cardinals, the current Cardinals. Who do you think is the MVP on the Cardinals? I think the uh, MVP is probably... Uh, Colton Wong this year. He, he made a major step forward, and he's a guy when when he when he hits, uh, he brings a lot of other things to the table as well. His his speed and his defense. I think he'll win the Gold Glove this year for the first time. And he just made a, He's the guy who made a major breakthrough this year, and that's where I think he really connected with Mike Schilt when Schilt was elevated to the managership midway through. Uh, 30 home runs this year, right? Around that. He did. Okay. He did. Yeah, which is, now, looking back, now for a shortstop to hit 30 home runs, I mean, it's a good number, but it's not unusual anymore. Used to be shortstops, they they were known for their glove, not really for their bat. Yeah, that's, that position has really changed, hasn't it? Yeah. Back, uh, I guess Cal Ripken Jr. was the first guy to kind of uh, modernize that position into more of a run production and power hitting position and then uh, of course Alex Rodriguez followed soon after mm. now that's the norm you, you want guys who uh, all over the field there's, there's not a place on the field where you don't teams don't want someone who can hit uh, 20, 25 or 30 home runs yeah 
Yeah, even catcher, which is, they always say, well, you want a really good fielding catcher, but they also want a catcher that can hit. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, Yachty, yes, but MVP, Yachty or Molina would be an obvious choice, I think, for most people to say he had, he had 20 home runs this year and he played his usual stellar defense, even at an, at, uh, an advancing age. But he missed a good chunk of the season with a, with a thumb injury, uh, so I'm not sure you can give the MVP to, to him. But uh, they don't really have, I don't, they didn't have that one standout guy. Jack Flaherty was, was out, was, had an amazing second half on the mound. Uh, he, he, they, they don't probably don't make it to postseason without him, so uh, you could even throw him into the teams in the VP mix. Do you give uh, Mike Schilt manager of the year? Gosh, I'd have to give him a lot of a lot of consideration. That team doesn't doesn't have. I just I think it, it, it's, the results have, out, have exceeded what I think they have in talent. Uh, I think he's done an amazing job, and he's a. Uh, I was really happy for a guy like him to get a chance to manage the Cardinals. You know, he never played professional baseball, worked his way up, uh, just a grinder through the minor leagues. Uh, he, he managed a couple of years here in Springfield, so we saw him up close at the Double A level. Just this guy who who earned his way, and uh, I was really happy for him. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit biased to see a guy like him uh, who got his got his shot. I hope he does uh, does win Manager of the Year. When the season started, who did you think was going to win the Central, the National League Central? I thought Milwaukee was the best team. I know they were, injuries hurt them throughout, as, as did the Cubs. Even going in the season, though, I thought the Cubs had a little bit of dysfunction. It just seemed like something was a little bit off in their team chemistry. And I think that goes back to when they didn't give Joe Madden the extension mm. before the season. So uh, it didn't surprise me that the Cubs didn't uh, didn't win the division. But they probably underachieved more than I thought they would. You know, it's amazing with the manager. You you have Madden comes in, he wins a World Series. You know, he's the toast of the town. And and then this year, all you hear is, oh, they're probably going to fire him probably going to fire him and I guess he resigned I don't know but the end of the season but and now of course he'll get a job somewhere I mean I'm sure if he wants one if he doesn't want to take a break or whatever but it's it's just amazing how a genius one minute and the next he's uh, you know he's garbage it's just amazing how that happens yeah and I talked to a lot of Cubs fans which we have an amazing amount in our area where we live in Cardinal country but they, uh, the consensus seems to be they were glad to see him gone. Uh, and this is just, just a couple of years after he gives them their first World Series uh, uh, since the uh, what, 1908. So uh, just, it's just amazing that uh, how quickly things changed in Chicago. Yeah, it's, it, right. It's amazing. The guy gave them something they hadn't had in, in over 100 years. And then they're glad to see him go. It's, fans are so fickle. But uh, anyway, now, okay, if the, if the Cardinals get by the Braves, we're going to put your fandom aside. Cardinals get past the Braves, and they go up against the, the Dodgers. Let's say the Dodgers get through, okay? What chance do you give them? You know, I, I, I don't give them much of a chance. I think the Dodgers are, are clearly the, the team to beat in the National League. 
evening, I'm watching have TV on, I'm watching the Nationals beating the Dodgers 6-1 in the 8th, and about to even that series at 2-2. Wow. And, and if the, the Nationals are able to muster up a, and, and pull this thing off and win the series in five somehow, you have to give them a lot of respect as well with the Scherzer and Strasburg and that uh, pitching rotation and, and the momentum. They, they played really well down the stretch in September. And they seem to have found something here against the Dodgers. So uh, I, I, I think the Cardinals will, will would match up a lot better against against the Nationals, obviously. But but I still uh, say Cards Dodgers probably Dodgers are a strong favorite in five or six games. Cardinals and Nationals should be a long, should would be a, a long series. Mm-hmm. And, and all all that said. Atlanta may be the best team, the best of those four. So who knows? Problem. The problem with the Nationals is that they haven't figured out how Scherzer and Strasburg are going to pitch every single game. Because <laughs> that's that's, that's what they need. That's exactly right. And uh, now the other night they pitched both of them in the same game. So mm-hmm. right, they're going all out. They're they're playing the old uh, let's win today and worry about tomorrow motto that a lot of college baseball teams use. Right. So now you've seen baseball over the years, okay, you've seen the changes. What's your feeling on, well, you said some of it. You said some of it. The You, you liked the way it was small ball. You liked the way, you know, um, the way the Cardinals won with the bunting runners over, hitting runners over, whatever. Uh, the game has changed. What's, what's your thoughts on the game and the direction that it's going? Well, I think I think it's swung too far, and I, I think there's going to be a, a slight correction coming in the next few years. I don't think it's going to continue to be what, what we've seen this year. I think it's going to calm down some, and I hope it does. Um, the analytics say that home runs are the thing, and they don't worry about strikeouts or batting average, and, and that's fine. But I, I think that it's, it's, people are going to realize that those things are still important, and I think home runs will remain the uh, the main thing teams are going to focus on but you need pitching and defense also and, and you know you need some need some speed and athleticism in the lineup so I, I see it I see it swinging back a little bit toward the toward more of a common middle ground and I hope it does but there's so many things in baseball now with the shifts with the openers, you know, the pitchers that, that, you know, the opener now and things that you just, if I had told you back, you know, back in the 80s or whatever, that one day a reliever would start the game and be called an opener and then there would be a starter and, and that teams would, would have the whole infield on one side, you would have said, you're nuts. You, you would have called me crazy. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I remember covering college baseball in midweek games. They used to say uh, Johnny Holstaff was today's starter because they would they, they would use that basically open. They would pick a guy and let him pitch pitch two innings, and then they would have seven relievers falling to the mound because they were focusing everything on the weekend. They weren't going to burn their pitchers during the middle of the week. So uh, now it's happening in uh, in Major League Baseball. So yeah. that, that, that that's a phenomenal thing to see. I never thought I'd see that. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, you say, and and I agree with you. I think it's part in my heart that I wanted to go back to at least a semblance of what it once was. 
But I think that it's, and I could use so many cliches, the toothpaste is out of the tube and, you know, the horse is out of the barn and the, you know, I, I just don't know that they're going to be able to go back. It's, the only way that, the only way probably that they'll go back is a team will win somehow playing that type of baseball, small ball or, you know, with the bunting and stuff. And the other teams, because everybody is a copycat, and they'll say, wait a second, they won. You know, back like when uh, teams were winning with speed and then all of a sudden everybody wanted to have base stealers on the team. And that's the only way, because otherwise if, if the Twins win the World Series and I they probably won't even get there. But if the Yankees or one of these big home run hitting teams win, look for more home run hitters. And I just, I hope you're right. I hope that it does go back at least partially to how it was. But I just don't know. Because what do you see all the time? You see home runs on replays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to go back. Uh, so I just hope it comes, I just hope it swings, swings back a little right. bit toward the middle. But uh, that's, that's, I think that's the best we can hope for. Because uh, I think the thought is home run sell tickets, and uh, that's what the younger generation wants to see. And I, I, my biggest fear is we're going to see the uh, putting, putting the guy on second base as the game goes into extra innings. We mm. start dealing with the guy on second base. That, I think that's really going to cheapen the game. I think you're right, and I think that's where we're heading. And I think there was uh, we did an episode on all these different rules that they were testing uh, with the independent league this year some of the things that they were doing like for instance on a third strike if you bunt on a third strike in with this new rule that they were testing in the independent league you're not out you get another chance so like a mulligan and i mean that, so that's crazy and and there was something where um you could steal first base on a, on a wild pitch or whatever, you can steal first base. That was another thing. I mean, it, all these rule changes that, they were, that they're trying to implement, they're, they're trying to make so many changes to the game. Yeah, and they're also talking about um, making it where relief pitchers have to face at least yep. two or three batters. You know, it's, it's, uh, that, that may be coming as well, but um, not much we can do about it, I suppose. We'll right. see where it goes. Right. Now, Lindell, you have... Uh, I, I hope you'll. This I'm sure you've heard this before, but you have a an excellent voice. Um, I I am t I have a voice made for silent films and a face made for podcasting. <laughs> but your voice is excellent. Were you always just? And I don't mean just. Were you always a sports reporter for newspaper, or did you ever do any um, live broadcasting? No, 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 no broadcasting while I was in the newspaper business, but I, I listened to uh, thousands of hours of talk radio and sports talk radio as I as I traveled uh, the Midwest covering events. So uh, I always loved loved to listen to the radio, and and I, I maybe I picked up some inflections of how guys voices use their voices uh, and that sort of thing. But I appreciate the uh, the compliment. Uh, radio was something I always hoped I could. I could do it at some point, and it just took uh, leaving the newspaper business uh, in order to make it happen. Well, I can't be the only person that's ever told you you have a, a great voice uh, that would be great on radio, I'm sure. Somebody had to have told you at some point. 
I heard it a couple times over the years, and uh, I, but I always I never never tired hearing it, and I'm always surprised when I hear it for some reason. So I, I appreciate that very much. Well, you took that. Now we'll 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 veer away from sports, Jeff. If you're listening, I hope you're happy, and I hope you realize we covered baseball, and it was love talking about it. But now we got to talk about this new thing you're doing, which I guess isn't so new, uh, barbecue. And you have you you had a radio show, which now you've turned into a podcast. Tell us about barbecue and how you started doing the tailgate guys barbecue show and uh just give us a history well my co-host uh on the tailgate guys show named steve Taylor, he, he was my newspaper sports editor for many years then he became the uh, uh columnist and uh, general news reporter he uh he left the newspaper business shortly before i did and we were also neighbors uh, for more than 20 years, and we would always be out barbecuing on, on Sundays on our days off. Sunday is about the only week day of the week that a lot of sports writers would, would not work. So we'd be out barbecuing, and we always had a passion for it and had chatted over the years about how it would be cool to uh, do barbecue competitions at some point, but never, never could because they're Saturday events and we work on Saturdays. So I left the newspaper business, and he was working for a local uh, work for the local community college teaching uh, teaching journalism and uh, a local radio guy heard me mentioned uh, at, at, a, at one of the college basketball games I was I was attending one night I'd love to do a barbecue radio show and he said you know I think we can make that happen he was a sales guy at a local station and uh, so the tailgate guys barbecue radio show was born in January of 2016 on a low-powered local radio station and we uh, had no clue it was kind of silly to think we were starting a barbecue radio show in the middle of winter but we, we started it up and uh, it, it, it kind of started to build some momentum and by the middle of the first year we were getting guests like Myron Mixon and Tuffy Stone and these, these legends of barbecue had to come on the show and tell us about their careers and give pointers to the uh, average backyard cook so we, we spent three years on local radio and uh, decided we, we the message wasn't uh, getting out as, as it needed to on, on the, on the low-powered station with these national guests. We wanted to branch out and see what we could do in podcast form. And, and, uh, we went there at the beginning of this year, and the Tailgate Guys Barbecue Show podcast has been very, very pleasantly received uh, across the country and even internationally. We have guests, our listeners, who, uh, who tell us they, they listen to the show in Greece and Australia and Belgium and all kinds of places, so it's really been uh, really been quite a ride to, to see where we've taken this thing now. Your your content is great. The way you uh, talk about the subjects. Now, of course, I'm a barbecue fan, but um, you make it enjoyable. And I've heard, whether you're talking to someone who's just a um, you know a competition cook. Or whether you're talking to a Myron Mixon, or uh, I just heard I, I listened to an older episode with uh, with Chris Lilly. It was right after I think it was right after Memphis in May. Uh, you were talking to him, and he was talking about how he was uh, you know he was very happy for uh, you know for Tuffy and uh, for that other team that I guess you know also did very well um, almost as happy as if he had won. actually he said he's he was as happy 
as if he had won. But I will say that all the episodes that I've listened to so far, extremely enjoyable. I'm glad I found uh, your podcast. And uh, what are you looking to do in the in the future with it? What uh, you know, as far as guests and and expanding, or what what's the uh, what's the vision? Well, we we always want to uh, continue uh, expanding our roster of guests. This week's coming up for the show. We we we. Uh, record the shows on Tuesdays, and, and this week we'll have uh, Mark Lambert, a uh, sweet bride of mine out of the uh, Memphis, Tennessee area. He's one of the legends of barbecue, and he'll be a first-time guest. We haven't had him on either the radio version or the podcast version, so we look forward to talking to him. We want to expand our, our segment, which we began earlier in the year and kind of have been getting away from a little bit. It's called Under the Radar. We want to talk to people around the country that maybe aren't as well-known, teams that are that are up and coming, uh, individual pitmasters, even restaurant owners who are just getting started but are, are making a name for themselves at the local level. We want to try to tell their stories and help them get some exposure uh, really before other people uh, other people find out about them. So basically we, we, just, we just love promoting the barbecue world and, and the people we, we have had on the show the Hall of Fame pitmasters or the uh, average backyard people have been so accommodating. It's been really a pleasure to uh, to have the stars of barbecue, the guys we used to watch on television on the old barbecue pitmaster shows. It's just been uh, been very humbling to have them on and uh, even get to meet them in person. Made a trip to Memphis in May this year to help a team and got to meet a lot of folks there. Was able to attend the American Royal recently and hang out with one of our local teams three days and uh, saw so many of the stars barbecue there so uh, we just, we just uh, think there's a lot of potential a lot of growth yet to go and you guys cook competitively too and and from what i've heard on the show uh you've done you've done well you've done you your partner did well in uh, the state cook-off association yeah steve yep steve steve and i first couple of years we, we we took kcbs together he did two categories and i did two he, uh, he came up with a with a back ailment, which, you know, KCBS competitions are, are two-day events, and they they're really can be grueling on you physically. So he, uh, he he's now doing the SCA state competitions, which is, which is a really growing organization, uh, SCA stakes. That's, it's, you just show up the day of, and you, and you, uh, you get your steak, and four hours later it's cooked, and you, try, and you, and you turn it in a 30-minute window, and he's really done well. That's, that's kind of in his wheelhouse. I've done the KCBS competition side, taking that over with my wife, and we, we've done, we did our 21st this last weekend. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we had our first first place in the category, taking first in pork. Ah, congratulations. Best, beating a couple of the nation's best teams. It was it was a strong field of teams, so we were proud of not only winning, but that, uh, who we finished ahead of. And uh, but, but barbecue, we, we call it a sport because they keep score. And this past weekend, we we took on some uh, the, the big boys again. Seven of the top ten teams in the country were were on hand in, the, in a competition in, in uh, Lebanon, Missouri, and uh, we were handed a dose of humility after our win two weeks ago. We we took a beat down this weekend, so uh, it's back back to work uh, and trying to get better. And and uh, like like a lot of sports, barbecue can humble you. Yes, yes it can. And uh, what what do you cook on? What what kind of cooker are you using? I cook on uh, on on barrel smokers, uh, hot and fast. On uh, I have two gateway barrel 
drum smokers and, and one Hunsaker drum smoker. Uh, upright 55-gallon drums, uh, meat hangs directly over the fire. Uh, you know, the old mm-hmm. low and slow method uh, that a lot of folks use for many years, and some teams still do with success, but a lot of the teams on the competition circuit have gone to the drum smokers where you don't have to start uh, cooking at, at midnight or 2 a.m. the night before uh, a competition. You can get up at uh, 5, 5.30 and have your meat on by 6 and uh, still have plenty of time to get it done. Yeah, I cook um, one, of, one of, I'm just a backyard cook. Uh, you know, one day maybe I'll get get up the nerve to, to be in a competition, but... Um, I uh, I have we had it on Noah Glanville of Pit Barrel Cookers, and I use a pit barrel as one of my cookers. Um, I also use the Weber Smoky Mountain, which is uh, uh, you know the water smoker. Right. And uh, who knows? I'm leaning towards some other things if I get a bigger backyard. <laughs> Well, you know, we've had Noah on our show a couple of times. He's a great guy, and that yeah. pit barrel is, is, a, is a fine cooking machine. I know Steve, Steve has that himself and uses it on occasion to uh, to cook his bigger meats. So, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of great options out there, a lot of great cookers these days uh, for, di- for the different cooking styles. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going this, this weekend. Uh, we're venturing out to Warwick, Pennsylvania. Barbecue Guru is having something called the Monolith Monster Fest. Mo Kaysen is going to be there. We're, they're going to be, I guess, all the teams, I don't know if it's a competition, I think it might be. They're all going to be cooking, though, on the Monoliths, which is a Kamado-type cooker that they're all furnished with the uh, the Barbecue Guru devices. Oh, excellent. Well, well, please say hello to Mo. He's one of our favorite people, and and he is such a great guy, and I'm sure he'll have a, a big cigar and a, <laughs> and a glass of scotch on ice fire uh, with him because he's he just he's just a cool dude and uh, just a, a great cook. And talk about a guy who who is an excellent spokesman for the, for barbecue in general. He's he's just a great guy. Well, I have to tell you, Lindell, you are a great guy. This has been a fantastic interview. I am sorry that. Jeff wasn't here. I'm also sorry that your partner on the podcast wasn't here as well, but I have really enjoyed our time uh, together. So I can't thank you enough. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Uh, I'm not going to make you commit to coming back on, but I hope that you will. I hope that we can have you back on sometime uh, in the near future. Lynn, anytime you want to talk about baseball and barbecue, uh, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. I'd love to, love to talk about both. Either one of those things are both up at the same time. So thanks so much for having me on. Thank you very much, Lindell. I appreciate it. Thank you, Lindell. If you want to find their uh, his podcast, Tailgate Guys Barbecue Podcast, you can find it on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. Listen to it. It's very informative. And Len, on episode 45, do you know who we have? Wait, do you think I, I gave Lindell enough uh, thanks? I think you did. Because I did that all by myself without you. You, and, you, you were terrific. And he, he, he didn't mind that it was just me alone. So thank you, Lindell, you were, you were, for putting up with me. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Thank you.
But on episode 45, we have author Sridhar Papu of The Year of the Pitcher, Bob Gibson, Denny McClain, and the end of baseball's golden age. And I can tell you right now, it was a great interview. That's in two weeks, guys. Looking forward to that. And with that, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.